Hello and welcome to this week's Statsman podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knutson. We're back, Ted. We've, we had a week off. We did. James, James buggered off on holiday. <laughs> Actually had a holiday. You had a bit of a holiday. We had a bit of a, a fun holiday stroke. Business. I had a lot of drinking, uh, but also a lot of business. So that, let's put it that way. It wasn't purely a holiday. They, we'll tell you a little bit more later in the show. Yeah, but that's why we weren't here for a bit because uh, you know we're, <laughs> other things were going on. But that's okay. Uh, so lots have gone on in the interim. We're going to talk. Well, I'll tell you what's coming up. We're going to talk a bit about Champions League. Ted went to Sloan, which was actually you know sounded really good. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then a bit on the Premier League as well, because you go away for two weeks, come back and everything gets thrown up in the air. Things change quickly. We've got a top four race, I think. So, yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's the first minute on, over and Hang done. Hang on, with. go on. Where did you go? Where did I go? I went to yeah, t- we we actually let James take holiday once in a while. <laughs> I went to Tenerife, which was sunny, and then I came back and I was driving home. And I was like, oh my god, just absolute. You couldn't see where I was going at all. Just horrific rains. So welcome back to England and. Uh, as You're such, not going to settle, settle in the Canary Islands for good? No, although I could do quite a lot of my job remotely, so there's, <laughs> there's always a, it's, it's an option. No, I don't think I would like to like to settle there, but it's nice for a visit now and then. Siam Park, hell of a water park, if anyone wants a recommendation for a day out there. Anyway. Um, James, yeah? Tottenham advanced in a knockout stage of a Champions League. Yeah, and uh, having not watched it, because I was, again, travelling, I'm just going to have to presume that they were awesome and demolished Dortmund once more and didn't just get uh, the run of the ball and sneak yeah. a goal after half-time and kill the tie, and that was that. All you got to do is grind that one out. That one that one was yeah. mostly dead coming in. But the other match last night was spicy. Yeah, now that's interesting. And I think, I think again, having not watched it, <laughs> I think everyone's going a bit over the top here. And, like, you know, this new Ajax team... Um, it is a new Ajax team, but it's also an old Ajax team, which is an interesting, you know, little little kind of subplot to this. Uh, Michel Jong- Jongsma uh, tweeted on this last night, and he said that uh, they've changed up their strategy of like, and actually brought in people like Tadic and Blint for reasonable money to kind of give a bit of ballast to the young players. And my God, what a result last night! Uh, What's interesting that like. Daily Blint is back to playing center back. Uh, yeah. So I have a story. I have a European story about this actually. So um, back with uh, when I was with uh, Michelland, uh, we made it through to the knockout stage of Europa League, and it was really exciting because like we got drawn against Manchester United, and we actually won the match in Denmark against United. Come back, my first time at Old Trafford, and I'm in like the Danish singing section, and it's awesome. But uh, knowing that it was going to be problematic for us. And I think that, you know, from a, a tactical standpoint, like we were too deep. But one of the things that Van Hal did was he played uh, Daily Blint and some, I think Michael Carrick as his two center backs in that game. <laughs> and, and Blint played center back last night. And the reason why Van Hal did it was because he wasn't terribly concerned about Michelin like winning set pieces because we had to actually get the ball up the pitch. But more so that the passers could start to to pick apart the defense and do do switches regularly and and basically uh, I felt so bad for Andre Roimer as Memphis Depay just absolutely obliterated him over and over again. He, he got beat so bad he almost felt like he, he should retire on the pitch at that moment. Uh, that was ironic. There was ironic. That was probably Depay's best game for you know one of them at least, wasn't it? <laughs> well, and it was also the first time that some kid named Marcus Rashford came on the scene with two goals. Uh, so anyway, we lost that one five one. But uh, I was reminded of that by seeing that that Blint was uh, was a centre back last night too. Uh, you know, sometimes 
you need the the distribution and it was amazing to, i mean madrid have not been good this year like compared to madrid standards and they kind of come out the other side a bit after solari being there for a while but obviously you know this is a huge setback especially happening at home yeah uh, I think I agree with you about Blind, by the way. I think I, I think we all thought Blind being a centre back was just like the foibles of Van Gaal, but uh, he seems to have continued. Yes, yeah, it really is interesting uh, the way this tie has, has kind of uh, come out because five three eight you've got like a model that rec- you know rates rates teams and, and were quite high on Ajax when the draw came out and they got hammered and I think I was someone who was happily hammering the hammering the idea that um, Ajax could you know could be in any way, not favoured, but like, you know, given a fighting chance against Real Madrid in the Champions League. And obviously, uh, fast forward two months, Real Madrid haven't really fixed many of their problems. Uh, get sucker punched by a couple of early goals and it all just goes tits up. And now we've got now we've got this whole new idea about like, you know, what is Ajax? What are Ajax again? I'm a little bit on the side of this is almost like a perfect storm of like <laughs> one match just kind of went incredibly well for the one team and not the other team but then I didn't watch it so I'm not carried along with the emotion of the of the tie um I don't think that's unfair mm. uh but like again this is not a normal Real Madrid team this is like the Real Madrid teams before Cristiano came along and obviously he's not here now uh, Vinicius went out fairly early as well yesterday and, and has ligament damage, so it looks like he'll be sidelined for the season. But he's like the one bright bright mm-hmm. spot in Madrid's season right now. He's been incredibly exciting and probably better than even than expected, like right from the start. So they'll they'll probably shut him down for the year, let him heal up and, and come back fresh. Um, you know, we know that this IX team is good, and uh, you know, Frankie De Jong has already been been scooped up and taken to to Barcelona. Uh, Delight. He will go to a large team as well, uh, near as possibly. Tadic was the interesting one, though. Like Tadic was was kind of struggling at um, you know Southampton. Southampton generally struggling. Tadic was fine. It was just yeah. that you know that that team was not great. And you put him here, and and he looked incredible, like everything that he did in the past. So it's it's an interesting question, like how well you know. It's always a challenge to translate stats across leagues. But, you know, for a mature player to come back and be part of this and we'll see how they do in the next round. There are there are almost no easy ties in the next round either. Yeah. You get through Real Madrid, but it's a bad Real Madrid. You know, we'll, we'll see where they go. It's nice to see, though. I still think um, Tadic, I mean, Tadic for years, he'd, he'd show up well in like kind of passing and creative numbers in the Premier League, even though he was on a bad, you know, relatively moderate to bad team. And Ziyech, Ziyech Hakim Ziyech is another player who... Is put up numbers again in the Dutch league. So you, you know you kind of question the reliability of like translating that across into into a better league. But you've always felt, apart from his shooting location, that there was enough of a player there that he could he could um, you know perform in kind of a better league than he's uh, been able to perform in his in his life so far. So the idea you've got Tadic and Ziyech together in one team, Ziyech 25, Tadic 13. You know they're not over the hill. Ziyech's right in prime now. It's kind of nice that that, that that they've they've got a kind of signature kind of result uh, on their CV now, um, and yeah, it's it's an interesting counterpoint to the you know the young stars that we obviously we see at Ajax, uh, the fact that they've managed to blend in a small handful of older players to you know make a difference. I don't have anything to add to that really. I'm, I'm curious, as I said, I'm curious to see what happens in the next 
the next stage. Uh, Ajax are going to have so much money this summer. Oh my god, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they want to they, they want to buy some more ten million pound. Uh, you know, just smallish, older player gambles. They, they, I mean, well, they already had like pretty big profits, and one of the the difficulties in evaluating the the teams in the uh, Netherlands versus elsewhere is that they often face like some some really low budget teams at the bottom end of their league. Uh, selling a couple of players for anywhere between fifty and hundred million is going to make that that absolutely massive pile of money compared to the rest of the league, you know, taut up again. But they they probably really I don't know they're like the talent factory in Europe, and and we've seen some some great players come through. I'm sure that that will continue on. And I'm quite romantically attached to the idea of, of teams that used to have you know fantastic European heritage going back to the nineties, the seventies, and even beyond. Uh, still competing and being able to put up, put up some big results in Europe because you know for, for in recent years the the big five leagues have dominated almost absolutely and so even even if it's a quarter final or the occasional semi final for any any other league to to get their breaks and and get through to latter stages of these competitions is you know always always good to see and particularly the Champions League because it's you know, ever so much harder with you know more and more teams coming from the bigger bigger leagues in there. Tonight we got matches. Tonight we well we had to think about this, didn't we? There's one match that looks like one match that looks like it, it, it probably just if you want to watch the players, and that's the PSG United one. United don't look like they've got a much of a puncher's chance there. So it's so funny, like how much that that matchup has changed so much from when it was announced mm. to when it was first played. And then to now, because when it was announced, you're like, you know, United are yeah. in chaos, Mourinho, et cetera, et cetera. Then when it's played, PSG have a ton of injuries and Manchester United are, are on this amazing role. And people are like very punchy about United, despite the fact they've been dysfunctional for most of the season. And then they lose 2-0 at, at Old Trafford. And now United have like half of a team or half of a squad that they can field and a ton of injuries, and they have to go to Paris Saint-Germain. So uh, the gambling lines have an implied about 4% uh, chance of them making it through. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, they're not going to take many wages on that side of things. Because it's only 2-0. Uh, if, it, if it were one more, then they probably wouldn't even post the, the two advance line on that one. Yeah, whereas you know, the other game, Porto-Roma, I think, was it uh, Roma lead from the first leg 2-1, which is a nicely poised setup. You did, yeah. you did the calcs, didn't you? You think Roma are about fifty-eight percent to to go through on this one, which means that you're you're not too far from the coin flip. So, yeah. not only that, but it's at Porto, and if you've watched Roma matches at all this year, you know that they are consistently insane. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure the Roma fans are like don't do this to me. I don't need this. Like, let's let's score an early one and and, and keep it there. Uh, but yeah, it should be should be interesting. Some I. Often with these teams, you will see uh, players of the future. They're, they usually have a, a good set of younger players that, that will then make it on to bigger teams. Uh, Porto obviously sell a ton of Portuguese players through, but Roma also often have sold some great players, including some guy named Salah uh, in recent seasons. So, it, you know, it's, it's worth a watch. Uh, but you know, maybe you just want to watch Mbappe. I don't know. That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> no, I totally agree. Yeah, Roma are this kind of like odd little, but odd little kind of like Premier League refugees uh, home as well uh, in places. But that you know, some good young talents in there as well. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Someone like Zeko, who's uh, thirty-two, and you like, you, I don't know. You could see him rocking up at West Ham one day or something, couldn't you? But oh god, uh, <laughs> he'd been rumored to come back, and I think at Chelsea, like when they brought in uh, Giroud, actually. Uh, I do want to note that both of our, our our suggested 
leans, I won't say wagers, but you know, our strong feelings from the first round uh, on Atletico Madrid. Uh, and then that, that just seemed like horribly mispriced. And then the Barcelona Leon, Leon at home, were like, yeah, you're going to give us basically a goal. We'll go with it. Obviously, it finished nil nil. Although, a bit of luck on the, the stats. So, you know, sometimes it, it just works out for you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's very true. Anyone who's ever gambled knows. <laughs> knows that's the case. I, I found a segue. I've got one. I've got one. We can get into the Sloan stuff now. Incredible, a segue. Yeah, because um, <laughs> you're you are you were on a Sloan panel uh, with allegedly. Yeah, with uh, Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey and uh, Men in Blazers uh, Roger Bennett, who hosted it, did a good, very competent job of that. Uh, talking about data in football, and I, I watched this. I, I've been on holidays. So I haven't had much chance to watch things, but I watched this. And one of the points. Uh, Roger made was um, that Roma and Liverpool fought out uh, uh, Champions League uh, semi-final last season um, and two big quant teams two big stats teams and uh, you know you you were there on the panel as a kind of the stats side of things uh, <laughs> to argue with Daryl about his his wild and crazy ideas about how he, he could change football and um yeah, so there we are. It's uh, it's it's on YouTube if anyone wants to watch it to watch Ted on stage. Um, interesting little chat, I thought. Uh, do you enjoy enjoy it, Ted? Do you enjoy your time at Sloan? Well, first of all, tell the people what Sloan is, right? Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Yeah, massive sports analytics conference that's held every year in Boston, I believe. I've never been. One day, one day. Um, but it's huge, and all of the big American sports get represented really heavily. Uh, loads of uh, ideas. Um, they do a load of papers. Um, that they're all public again. They're all published online as well. I think. I think most of the panels, if not all of them, are published online uh, as podcasts. Maybe this year, and all the a uh, lot of the the work that papers that people have written around sports, new ideas around different sports analytics, uh, published as well. So a ton of content. If anyone's you know interested in what you know what's on the cutting edge and what people are trying to promote out there. And it's two days, isn't it, Ted? And like I say, you know, Ted's, Ted's a wanted man. Ted gets on panels of this thing, which is pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about that. Uh, so <laughs> my first year was 2017. And it's interesting to see how much uh, the soccer analytics sort of space has changed since then. Uh, there are often complaints about, like, is the is the panel any good? Does it represent where soccer analytics is at? It's a, it's complicated because it's American side sport. Um, you know, a lot of the biggest money and potentially the biggest advances are, are led from Europe, uh, but you know we don't see a lot of the big European names necessarily go on there. You see them you represented at some place like uh, FC Barcelona's conference, but um, less so about Sloan. Uh, this year, I think the the soccer analytic panel was the first one, and, uh, and a bit of a mixed bag. In fact, like one of my frustrations is they just didn't talk about analytics that much. Uh, so that was the one that was uh, sponsored by I think OptiPro. Uh, first thing in the morning, all the Europeans are awake. It was it was a full room, um, but you know I I was just a little frustrated on on the topic element of that and and some of the. Yeah, they discuss like analytics in youth football, which honestly is like the least advanced area in in sort of the analytics world. So I think that was a particularly difficult set of uh, of discussions to have. But my panel happened uh, <clears throat> basically. I think it spawned out of me poking Daryl uh, Daryl Morey this summer. He had a he had a, a what was it uh, an Instagram story 
on his his account that was basically the, the the pass back to the goalkeeper is the dumbest regular event in modern football huge risk uh very little reward like, it just doesn't make any sense to me and uh, as a result of that like i had i had our guys look into it um i think ewan actually was the one that take a look uh produced a lot of the stats to to suggest you know, is this true? Because you know, Daryl's really smart. Daryl is the general manager of the Houston Rockets. He's one of the first people that that was involved in in sort of basketball analytics. I mean, there were a lot of them, uh, but he was especially one of the first notable ones. Was at the Boston Celtics for a bit, and then moved on to the Houston Rockets, and and has been there for quite a long time now. Um, and it's interesting that we say Boston Celtics, like they sort of under the the radar have been involved in the in the basketball analytics world, and and very smart moves for a long time as well. So. Uh, Anyway, we, I, I sent this back to Daryl because I didn't want to be rude <laughs> when we were sort of evaluating his idea. So I sent him a, an email. Uh, we have some mutual friends. And uh, I was like, hey, this is what it looks like. He's like, oh, well, your data is crap because you're not evaluating every possible uh, thing. I mean, Daryl's really nice, but that was like basically the gist. And that would be how he would say it, too. So uh, we sent that through. And I put it in my, my Radar Wars uh, presentation for Cassis, my keynote that I gave out there. Uh, because it's fun, you know, like Daryl's there and, and Daryl was the one that, that did the drive-by on the radars in the first place. So like he's already in the story, might as well include his, his ideas. Um, but like, it, you know, these type of out-of-the-box ideas are actually quite interesting because especially from someone who has a very good history and, and a lot of background in analytics, to, to look at something from the outside uh, in a sport that is a lot like soccer or football. So basketball has a lot of similarities in how we analyze the game as, as football slash soccer. And so it's an interesting set of questions. Now, obviously, they're different sports. One uses feet, one uses hands. Uh, one is much more compressed uh, when you get around the goal mouth versus basketball, which has the three-pointer, which then sort of decompresses a lot of space and makes it, makes it a little more interesting and complicated and, and variant game than than you would get in soccer. Um, so yeah, the the idea behind the panel was that Daryl, we'd, we'd address some of these crazy ideas, uh, uh, but also, you know, I'm an American, haven't been living in the US for quite a long time. I moved out originally for, for sports gambling uh, and then came back into the world of, of soccer and, and soccer or football analytics. And so, it, it kind of like was this interesting storm. And then the guy that's hosting it is Roger Bennett, who uh, is, is originally, I think, a Scouser. He's an Everton fan, but has been in the United States for a long time and became a naturalized citizen last year. So you got a lot of a lot of elements there that create for hopefully what was an interesting, but I thought quite an entertaining panel as well. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I'll tell you one, one point that Darren made that I thought was was interesting and he was railing against it was the fact that you get nil you can do everything right in a football match and get nil and you can do everything wrong in a football match and get nil and then you're just hating <laughs> hating that idea that like you know your your fundamental scoreline is nil and what the fuck are you trying to measure when <laughs> when when everything comes to nil and it hit me and it was just like, I was I was like yeah I haven't really I don't think I'd ever put it put it into those terms and it hit me and that's why the hell we all look at shots and why we look at expected goals and things because we're drawing one step back from the nil we're walking away from the nil we're looking into what makes the one the two the three and stuff and uh, but yeah it was an, it was an interesting perspective in that regard because. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd ever. You know, we're well aware that uh, we we lack kind of uh, key moments, as in goals within football, is uh, something something to work with. I mean, I, I, ice hockey is the nearest kind of parallel in that regard, and um, 
But it has more than twice as much scoring on average. Yeah, there's yes, certainly there's more scoring. And worse data, incredibly. Uh, maybe next year that'll change, but for the most part, the entirety of hockey's somehow had worse data than soccer. <laughs> um, the, so Sloan as a general thing is kind of overwhelming. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky, I've been lucky enough to be on two panels, and over the last three, four, five years, I've made some friends there. So that's always nice to, it's it's less so about, like we'll go to learn about the basketball panels and, and potentially teach or listen to what they have to say and find things that we can steal and or adapt for our own our own purposes. And and plenty of the, the people who are involved in other sports, Bill Connolly, Seth Partnow, you know, lots of other ones actually really like uh, soccer as well. So they like the, the crossover between the sports and they, they be, they're fans, but fans of smart stuff. Um, but it is it is this overwhelming barrage of U.S. sports celebrities, and I, I think a lot of Europeans won't quite get it. But anybody who who watches ESPN on a regular basis or pays attention to American sports, like if you're in and around the the sort of speakers area, the VIP room, it's insane. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm, I'm there. I wasn't around for Obama last year, and I'm not even sure that he would have gone through that area. He might have just been whisked in and went and out of the building. But Obama has appeared at this conference in the last two years. Yeah. Uh, M- Michael Lewis was at this conference, and I actually got to have dinner as part of a larger dinner with Michael Lewis. Uh, <laughs> Nate Silver is there. Adam Silver is there. Bill Simmons, who's a massive U.S. celebrity. Uh, two people that I love from... So they're like... I don't have much time to pay attention to the U.S. media space, but there are three people that I kind of keep up with their stuff all the time. One is Zach Lowe, who I think has consistently been the smartest NBA writer since he came along. And, uh, you know, I've started following his stuff on, on Grantland. Uh, he's... He's at ESPN. His, his stuff is great. Um, uh, <laughs> the Wadge was there. Uh, it's like, and, and they're all just like flowing in and out of this room. It felt like there was less in the in the baseball space, but lots of hockey people, uh, plenty of people who write with The Athletic. Uh, I think I, I met one of the, the U.S. women's Olympic hockey team. I met Sue Bird, who's a legend and uh, and actually part of like a star-studded legendary female athlete couple in Megan Rapino. Um, Rapino wasn't there. I think she she's either getting ready to start her season or is playing. But it's it's very overwhelming. And so I'm going to tell a little more of a story. And I apologize for like taking up all the all the airtime here. But it's you know if you want to if you're a smart person who feels like okay about yourself, but you really want to have imposter syndrome kick in, you go to Sloan and you just hang out and watch all the famous people and all the giant athletes go by as well. Larry Fitzgerald in the room, <laughs> like talking to Mina Kimes, uh, Pablo Torre. Mina Kimes and Pablo Torre are the, the two other people aside from Zach that I, I follow along. Uh, so anyway, I'm good friends with Jeff Ma. People who don't know who Jeff Ma is, if you've seen the movie 21 or you know the book Bring Down the House, like that is basically a story about Jeff Ma's early life as a professional blackjack player card counter. Uh, so Jeff Ma and I, I was on his podcast and uh, we've been we've been you know, solid friends for, for a while now. I met him, I think, originally at the first Sloan. I was hanging out in the room shooting the shit and Jeff's like, hey, who are you? And and somebody else introduces me as, as one of the people who work back in Penny. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, this seems like he's going to be really interesting to talk about. I'm on the gambling panel. Are you on the gambling panel? It's like, no, I'm just on the soccer panel this year. He's like, that seems wrong. <laughs> so, so anyway, Jeff's a friend of mine, uh, Rufus Peabody. So Jeff Rufus Peabody and I are going to go to dinner. 
And Jeff's like, all right, well, if there's anybody else you know, smart that you like, like, feel free to invite them. So I invited Seth Partnow, who's the director of analytics in Milwaukee Bucks, a longtime friend from before either of us were really into the sports teams. Seth was the one who founded Nylon Calculus. Um, all right, cool. So, and then like this list of people just starts growing on on our on our WhatsApp, and and suddenly they're like, oh wow, Nate Silver's in. He's going to come to dinner. I was like, okay. And it's the kind of thing that that continues to grow. Like Mike Leach ended up our dinner. Uh, Michael Lewis ended up at our dinner. I, I thanked Michael Lewis for basically starting my career. I to be totally honest with you, I would never have made it here without Moneyball the book. And you know, it started me on the road to thinking about this stuff in like 2004 in this sport, a totally different sport. I got to talk to Mike Leach about how you know he's interested in rugby and rugby transfers over to football. I was like, our set piece stuff from your is you know some of the things are directly li- lifted from your play ideas and you know how you spread the the space and how you create package plays and stuff like that. This is like Coach Mike Leach in in American football. Um, then Daryl Morey and Jessica Gelman. I got to meet Jessica Gelman and her her. Her wife, uh, Corbin, as well, both of whom I think are CEOs of big companies, talk about a power couple. Uh, it's just this, it felt like this dinner shouldn't happen. Anyway, the reason why I'm telling this story is mostly to make fun of Jeff. <laughs> as we're getting up to this dinner, I was like, Jeff, you have one job at this dinner. He's like, all right, fine. It's like, take a fucking photo. Like, take a picture because no one will believe me that this actually happened and I won't believe it and I want to have some sort of record because it probably will never happen again. So, like, just make sure that someone or multiple someones get a picture of people at this dinner. People are starting to leave. I was like, Jeff, do you have a photo? Just send it through me on WhatsApp. He's like, oh. I was going to say, I haven't seen a photo, Ted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no real photographic evidence of this. Mike Zarin was there as well. Uh, There's a story about, um, maybe we'll have Jeff on to tell it one day, but basically Mike Zarin and and Ma were up for one of the very early jobs at the Celtics. Uh, I think that that Daryl Morey was hiring for, and and Mike Zarin got the job and and Jeff did not. (laughs) But Jeff went on to a number of other interesting, famous things. So yeah, it was a, it was a crazy show and, and so much fun and so much fun to just meet so many people. But I swear to God, it is so hard to just be on for like 12 plus hours a day, multiple days that week. Uh, so I mean, don't cry for me. It was wonderful. But the, the exhaustion at the end of it and the people exhaustion especially was very real. I'll tell you what, personally, my exhaustion this week from sitting by a swimming pool and then having to eat food like three times a day and drink alcohol <laughs> in the sun. You, it really takes it out of your Ted. You don't realize. You think you've had a hard week. Nothing what, nothing compares to what I've had. Anyway. I, no, I appreciate that, James. I'm, you know, I Thank you for, for taking that off my plate. <laughs> That's all right. You'll get, a, you'll get a holiday one day. I also, Mike, Michael Lewis, uh, uh, I, 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 he could rewrite the phone book, and I, I think it would be worth a read. Oh, um, absolutely. I, I, I didn't even get to the point that I'm like, I read all of your books when they come out. <laughs> it, I particularly like the book that was a little bit making fun of Daryl dra- drafting just uh, Joey Dorsey, because I got to use it uh, in my in my panel this past weekend. So you know, that was wonderful as well. Funny enough, I forgot to, I haven't read that book and I forgot to take it I bought it and then forgot to take it on my holiday I was going to read it on the plane but it doesn't matter so these things come full circle one other holiday I read uh, Liar's, po- Liar's Poker is amazing yeah Liar's Poker is great to yeah, make- doing products very good um so a doing project is is basically a story about Daniel Kahneman right uh thinking fast or slow which is uh, one of the great books of behavioral economics and still has like tons and tons of stuff to teach you I think Matthew's um <laughs> 
Matthew's organization, Smart Odds, like almost enforces the reading of this book uh, much better than than Pinnacle's early days, where one of the managing director uh, forced you to read uh, Taleb, uh, which I'm, yeah. really I have mixed feelings about. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna. Rome. I read, what, what was? No, I can't remember. What was it? Black Swan. I was alright. Everything else, same book. Doesn't matter. Anyway, right. Wait, we this stuff is where? Where have we gone, Tad? We, we, oh yeah, you had an idea. You had an idea you wanted to say because we're going to turn this into a basketball podcast. No, we're not going to turn it into a basketball podcast. But would you hire Sam Hinkie, legendary man of the process at the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers, to be a sporting director, at a soccer, football, stroke football club? What's your thought on that, Ted? <laughs> it depends on what you're looking for, right? Um, and I think that um, Nikos has a very strong opinion about this, but he's a big Sam Hinkie fan, so you can come down, you can figure out what side of the fence he's about to come down <laughs> on. But uh, so I am of the belief that Sam is really able to sort of figure out a game and a game around a game. And people are like, oh, you have to like understand the sport really well. Well, I can tell you from professional gambling that you don't have to understand the sport that well, but also that like humans are able to understand multiple sports at one time uh, and, and figure out like what's really important, what's not. You know, I cut my teeth on, on gambling American football and that was, you know, a huge deal for me to be able to do that in the early days. But I also was always a fan of, of, of soccer football and then you know, d- took that from an analytics perspective. Uh, but that was kind of how, you know, I've been able to go after multiple sports, also helped develop NBA Live, and you had to have a, like a lot of good game knowledge as to where the model was weak and what's going on to feed that back to the people that were explicitly doing the modeling. So that's important to, to understand that I think that it, you a very smart person can understand it. But really, it's about figuring out the game around it, what we would almost call the metagame. Like, how does the world of football operate? What are the weak points? Where can we find the edges? And in that way, I think Sam Hinkie is better than almost anybody else we've seen at finding and just like brutally uh, executing on those edges, not caring about really the the external perception of the consequences, but finding those edges, executing them to the extreme in a very sort of interesting, often unique way. And I think that you know, soccer football is certainly open to that, and Sam Sam would be very good at it. So, yeah, in, in those ways, I think he'd, he'd be pretty clever. I think, yeah, I mean, it's... I think fo- football in itself... Um, I think there's still plenty of a way to go. There was a there was an interesting um, thing on the Ringer recently about basketball. They they got a hold of a load of scouting reports from twenty years ago or something, and then like you know kind of as baseball, analyzed, right? Sorry, yeah, baseball, yeah, uh, and analysed uh, what they were saying. And I think the one one thing that came out of that that just <laughs> just uh, shocked or irritated me was like they they didn't file reports on bad players. Or players they perceived were, weren't good enough. So there was just like this huge chasm in their database where they didn't have reports on players. So you might, if you had a player that ten scouts didn't like and one scout did, you only had the one scout report on 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 the guy who said he liked him. And it's uh, these kind of things are such simple fixes for for organisations. If you actually just review all your processes and like think about how how can you actually make you know, like you know efficient gains and do smart things within an organisation and something like that is just you know, leaps off the page when when you um, read about things like that, and I think you know not just not just saying like Sam Hankey, but like anyone in, in of that kind of like you know mentality who went and looked at an organisation from a kind of like troubleshoot kind of manner. And I think football's got um, 
you know, there are, there are plenty of football clubs that would benefit from a kind of like troubleshooting uh, process just to identify where there are holes that could be filled and such. So yeah, I, th- I, th- I you know, I'm kind of with you in that. That that um, and again, using ideas from other sports or you know, the experience from other sports is certainly something that you know could be translated quite readily. So, well, and some people were saying that I, I could have been tougher on Daryl. Like, let, let's be let's be totally clear on this. Daryl offered himself up as the vehicle through which we could have an interesting conversation about soccer analytics or football analytics, and and that is is a gift. You know, it's not so often when you see these panels, you get people who are from teams who are actually are doing interesting research but can rarely talk about it. Or you get people who, you know, are from vendors that are just trying to sell you something and they don't have a lot of practical experience. But really, like, what you want to know kind of is the cutting edge of this. And it was one of the unusual times, at least at this conference, where we've been able to go out there. Like, I'm not affiliated with the team. We don't talk about our team research, but, like, I'm not affiliated with a single one. StatsBomb works for a lot of them. And we're able to talk about, you know, the research and how we have changed the data in order to incorporate these new things, to measure these things that, you know, Daryl's talking to Chelsea 50, 15, 10 to 15 years ago and talking about how, how bad everything was. And no, I wouldn't listen to the quants because, like, we don't have data on that. That's changed. And, and the research has changed as well. But, you know, you don't need to be be rough on some of Daryl's quote-unquote crazy ideas. He knows that they're odd. Uh, he's he's doing it as as almost a prop to to be able to allow us to have interesting conversations about where the game is now and, and kind of where it's going, but also like the differences between it and basketball too. I thought it was fun when we, we'd be able to bring things back around to basketball and point out the similarities of that. Yeah, I think having someone who being someone who's like started following the NBA for the first time since I was you know a teenager uh, this last season, actually going into a new sport with like a lot of ideas about analytics and stats and whatever, going to a new sport which is obviously incredibly uh, well uh, organised when it comes to you know people have built a million and one stats when it comes to basketball. It's really quite interesting just going in with a fresh mind and like not without any kind of prejudice into into that you've brought with you from growing up with a sport which we all kind of carry with us but going in just open to all ideas kind of thing uh, I found it really quite fascinating um, as to see what's valued and what's you know what's not valued and uh, you know kind of disrupt different aspects around it we should get back we should gotta go back to football Ted you know we could do 10 more minutes on football surely well I, I did want to mention before we move on something about football <laughs> which was that uh, Luke Bourne and, and Javi's paper uh, Javi from Barcelona, Luke Bourne, a legend of, of Sloan, but uh, also VP of strategy and analytics at Sacramento Kings and you know, a ton of background in, in soccer as well. Uh, their paper, which basically expected possession value in football, like, a great paper, like one of the best ones in years. And, and you should definitely take a time to read it. It might be a little overwhelming, but the concepts and ideas will keep coming back. It's pretty landmark. Yeah, and that's cool because it kind of built on, you know, another you know original paper um on expected values that you know has been well known from from basketball and of course we had our own Derek Yam had a poster on, uh, up there with his work on goalkeeping which is you know a great great achievement for him and great for for us to start small as a company to be represented not not just with you on the stage but with Derek there as well that was great yeah that was his first Sloan he got to to have fun got to be see the overwhelming amount of people uh, got to go see some Meek Mill at least for three minutes 
<laughs> well, did it, people it did in my Meek Mill clash with you, Ted? Did, it did. Did your data scientist go and watch the Meek Mill quickly and then come and watch you? He, he said it was only for three minutes, but you know, I, I was on the stage, so I wouldn't have known either way. <laughs> right, let's get, let's get to a quick, quick bit of football. We can, Premier League? Yeah, Premier League, because we've been away two weeks. And things have changed. You know, the thing that I want to note that has changed is there's now a top four race. Um, no, actually, and there, a top two race. There was a top four race, but it looks like we've got a top two. And to- Tottenham have just dropped back into the into the mulch that are heading for those two out of four spots. Um, I mean, the title race has changed a little bit as well, with City now looking like they've got a slight advantage of a, of a, you know, a point and... Still very tight there, but yeah, Tottenham is crazy. Two two losses and a defeat, and suddenly they're you know within a win of um, United, uh, only four points ahead of Arsenal. I mean, that, if, if Arsenal could have sunk that penalty late on in the that's one match I did watch when I was when I was away the North London North London derby, which was a bit harem scarum at times. Chelsea with a game in hand, if they win that, they're up to fifty nine, which is only two points behind Tottenham. But really interesting when you consider the narratives around all these teams. I mean, Tottenham are probably the one team that have escaped scathing criticism, mainly because they've skated highly above their uh, expected metrics for most of the season. You could argue a couple of couple of results recently of them coming back down to earth. And the fact that they're in with the, the these three other teams is, is far more representative of what we expect from their numbers than to be up with Liverpool and Man City. Um, yeah, it's I, I had a quick look at the schedules. Arsenal got an interesting schedule insofar as they finish... Uh, their matches against their rivals uh, and rivals above them with a Man United game this weekend. Uh, United have got three three of these kind of matches, trip to Arsenal and then versus Chelsea and City to come. And then all the other teams have got um, just two matches. Um, Chelsea visit Liverpool and United. Tottenham visit City and Liverpool, which looks like the worst of the bunch. And Liverpool are at home to Chelsea and Tottenham, which is probably the best of the bunch. Hmm. Um, but... Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting because it's so finely poised, um, with potentially again if Chelsea win the game, just four points um, between those those teams and a small handful of games. Um, I don't know. For the first time in months, really, I'm looking at this thinking, "Ooh, Tottenham! They look vulnerable. They look like even though they've got the points advantage right now, they look like they could be vulnerable." Um, to so it's worth it's worth making a point here about. Spurs and their sort of you know gradually coming back to the pack. We've been talking about most of the season they seem to be overperforming. They've had a bit of a bite like all at once, and it it was even kind of after some of the injury stuff. It's you know that's happened. I think the Dortmund one has has really kind of terrified people. You know Dortmund were so far out there, and I wrote a piece way back in maybe October saying that Arsenal are not as good as their, yeah, their yeah. results were, and Dortmund are not as well, and these, these are why we, we perceive that. Dortmund was a little less secure because you know Favre has historically been able to, to outperform a bit, but now Dortmund coming back across multiple uh, multiple competitions too. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty... I, mean, I don't even know what to say about Spurs. Like we, we can't really understand kind of why they've done it and are they able to to continue outperforming as well. I think at the top at the top of the table, there's some really interesting schedule stuff going on here because like basically, you would say that City only have two hard matches total yeah. the rest of the season for for their the league. Now they they're home against Watford, sure. Like that Watford are no no easy skate, but 
it's home, so that's fine. And they've they've got a lot of the bottom of the table here, uh, and they've got you know home versus Spurs, and then the Manchester Derby at Old Trafford, but Burnley away, Leicester home, Brighton away to end the season. Like there's a lot of scruff in there. Fulham as well, Cardiff. Like this is this is a nothing schedule. The flip side of that is they're already scheduled for five games in April. They're in the FA Cup and they're going to be in the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. I mean, assuredly one of those like the schedule crunch is going to be hard. Yeah, it does feel like yeah, of everyone City are the ones that, that um that could could find the schedule biting them more, more than anything. I mean, I suppose Liverpool will so they, that, that was they that was the Champions. little that was the segment where we're trying to give Liverpool fans a bit of heart. <laughs> <laughs> they I mean they they shouldn't have no heart at all because there's you know there's there's, there's still uh, plenty of chances left it's just it's just from where they've come from isn't it and when you when a club hasn't won the title for so long it's it's you know it must be quite demoralizing to to actually end up behind in the league when they were you know potentially so so far clear at one point the thing is though this this man city team when they had their funny little blip and lost a couple of games it wasn't the fact that they were bad it was the fact that shit happened I mean, shit can happen again, and that's. I mean, I'm I'm slightly torn on Liverpool as as to how good they are because they ballooned right. so far over their expected numbers during they the autumn. They're way out there, and it, yeah, no question. Again, I mean, this is it. Are they one of the top two teams in the league? I I'd lean towards yes, they are, or are they pretty much as good as they have been for about the last eighteen months? I think if you look at the kind of like a rolling expected numbers. They do look about the, the same quality team from like the last season and three quarters it is now. It doesn't feel like um, the expected numbers are actually showing them as, as being like significantly improved or anything. It's just that they had a real kind of blast over the top of their numbers to start with. So the fact that they've come come back and f- found a couple of draws or the you know the attacks the attacks slowed up a little bit isn't isn't the most kind of surprising thing ever, and it, it feels like. I still, I think you know, if if forced, I'd still say Man City, Liverpool, the rest, in a kind of you know quite a, um, you know quite a kind of quite clear three tiers. But as we've seen many many times, you know, being in being in the second tier or being like in a, not obviously the best team in the league does not preclude you winning the league. So I think they might be too tight at the moment, though, like especially playing too tight. So Liverpool, Leicester, one one, West Ham, Liverpool, one one. Uh, Liverpool three nil over Bournemouth. That's that's like but at home nil uh, nil uh, Man United Liverpool five nil versus Watford sure. But then another nil nil Everton Liverpool. Uh, they got to score more goals. You know if you if you're in a, a race against City, you got to <laughs> find a way to get the goals on the board and in, as, as part of the attack. And it seems like you know the attack's really mostly just the front three. The, the midfield and, and the defense are largely you know trying to keep everybody in check and occasionally the the fullbacks will contribute so uh, but you know it's this it's a thrilling end of the season race uh, Liverpool are involved only guaranteed to be involved in one competition which is the Premier League uh, the the CL match that they have coming up is against Bayern Munich and, and Munich managed to hold them as well so yeah, if they get knocked out, then that's all that they have to work on. And City are across three competitions and probably will continue to be so. Yeah, with occasional injuries biting all around now as well. So it's, it's really, really tidily set up. We should probably leave that there, Ted. I think we've got a podcast worth of content there. We're going to do a little bit at the bottom, but we could save that till next week. That's cool. I reckon. Did Did you have a lean on the top four, by the way? A lean on the top four of... Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, it's, it's so hard because... I, 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 uh, the fact that Arsenal haven't got 
any tough games after this weekend. I mean, I saw, you are almost you, want. Are you, you trying want, to make me you, happy? You almost want Wenger back. They always got him home with a wet sail, didn't he? You'd get him, you'd get him flying home when it was too late. Um, yeah. You'd, you'd, not, <laughs> I don't know. I can't. I, let's just say. Mm, I don't know. Tottenham, Tottenham will lose these tough games they've got to, at City, at Liverpool. I can't see him winning those games. So it just it just kind of that if you theorise in that way, then that puts the, puts the, all these teams kind of in a mulch. And um, so here, here's a fun one: Spurs have the most losses of people that are in that sort of three to six range, but because they only have one draw, they also have the most wins. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> three more wins. In fact, that's the thing. That weird skew. I think we might mention it before the fact that they haven't had like a normal amount of draws. Uh, is you know certainly the dif- the difference between the, the fact they're even there or not because um you'd probably say mm. I don't know we'll see all right <laughs> well cool thank you for listening everybody uh check out those papers and the posters from Sloan if you get a chance and also the the video from our uh my panel is up and and fun to watch we've linked that around the site and uh, otherwise uh we'll talk to you again next week all right cheers bye